In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We have an amazing encounter this morning, and this is always the reading for this Sunday in Easter, and I'm glad to see so many of you here because most people miss it. And every year it's the same, and it's the story of Thomas, whom we, also, we all often call Doubting Thomas. Uh, poor Thomas, through the years, has uh, not done well for himself. In fact, he's become a personality type where we might even say of other people, oh, they're such a Doubting Thomas. But what we actually find in this gospel passage is not Thomas the the doubter, uh, but Thomas of great faith and Thomas the great apostle. Because Thomas was no different than the other disciples who were locked up in the upper room for fear. Just the week prior, we don't know why Thomas was there, but Jesus, uh, even though there was a locked door, Jesus walked right through that locked door, showed the other disciples his hands, his side, and his feet, and said, Believe. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then he commissioned them. This is how you tell people how their sins are forgiven. Well, the disciples, now apostles, Tell Thomas what had happened. And Thomas's response is what? Unless I see the scars and I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And a week later, with the doors locked for fear, Jesus walks through the door, flesh and blood like you and me, but altogether different, and sees Thomas and says, Thomas, See my wounds and believe. Do not doubt. Well, hindsight being 20-20, we can always look back and say, those foolish disciples, fear. Why didn't they take Jesus at his word? Why would they be so afraid? But if I did an inventory of my life, which I often do, uh, it's not hard, we all do it. Uh, Even though I'm a Christian, there are areas of my life that are locked up tight, to Jesus even. We all in our own homes have those no-go areas where when we have company over, you think this is the last place we want them to go. The basement, the garage, the hall closet, the laundry room, wherever it is. And what inevitably happens is during a dinner party or something, you're there, you're having a wonderful time, and then you are struck with horror because you see... One of your guests making for the hall closet door, thinking that it's a different room. And as they open it, the world that you had locked up so tightly comes tumbling out for all to see. You're mortified, and you begin to think of excuses like, Oh, we've been working on this closet, and we've just packed it full because we're trying to pack up and organize. Uh, But there's a part of you that, in your own lives, that are like hall closets and like basements. And like garages, where you will say, Jesus, you may come to these areas, but I'm not so sure about this area. And I'm going to keep the door locked. But we see in this gospel passage the key to locked doors in our lives. Why does Jesus reveal himself to Thomas? Well, the qualification to being an apostle is to see the resurrected Jesus. 
St. Paul uh, writes in 1 Corinthians 1.15, As one untimely born, he appeared to me. And in Acts chapter 1, when the disciples, now apostles, had to replace Judas, the qualification for being considered when they cast the lots was that the person had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection. Remember, Thomas was not there. Not only did he not see the resurrected Lord, he did not receive the Holy Spirit, he did not hear the commission, and so Jesus comes to him. And Jesus rebuked Thomas, and he rebukes Thomas for not believing. For not believing what? For not believing the testimony of the apostles. The the apostles had told Thomas, he is risen, he's alive. And yet Thomas said, I will not believe. And Jesus rebukes him, why did you not believe the testimony of the apostles? In fact, as we read the scriptures in Ephesians 2.20, the writer says, Paul says that the foundation of the church is the testimony of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the very cornerstone. The entirety of the church is built on the testimony of the apostles that he is risen. That Jesus died on the cross for you and for me so that your sins might be remitted and forgiven. And he rose again on the third day so that everything might be changed and you might be given new life. And this testimony is important. John, the very author of our gospel, says to us in his first epistle, That which from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. But Thomas would not believe this testimony. But he had to see Jesus. He had to hear the commission. He had to know and feel the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? Thomas had been with Jesus throughout his ministry. And he already knew all about the teaching of Jesus. And if the apostles' job was to simply to go out and tell people what Jesus said, to simply spread his teaching, Thomas did not need this job interview. He had heard the Sermon on the Mount. He was fully equipped and prepared to tell people, turn the other cheek. Love your neighbor. Consider the lilies of the field. Seek God first. But is that the main message of the gospel? The central message of the apostles and the entirety of scripture is that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead. From Acts through the epistles, you will never ever hear a sermon from one of the apostles that goes like this. Jesus would like you to know how to balance your checkbook as a Christian. Be nice to your neighbors. Their message time and time again is of his death and his resurrection. Because what's really important is not simply his teaching and philosophy, although they are important, But ultimately what is of most importance, of paramount importance, is what Jesus did on that weekend. And the difficulty of the modern mind is this. It's hard to deal with that. Because most people in our world will say this. I have a hard time believing that Jesus Christ is God. I have a hard time believing that he was sinless. 
And all of us talk about the necessity of him dying on the cross for my sins, whatever that means, and then him being raised from the dead. You know, what if we could just reduce the message of Jesus to his teachings? We can rally around that. That's really what Christianity ought to be about. Jesus as philosopher. But the problem with this, well, there are lots of problems, but one is that philosophy is about you. The gospel is about Jesus. Several weeks ago, I was reading uh, the blog of an Episcopal bishop, and on it she was asked one Sunday morning whether or not it would make any difference if an archaeologist found the bones of Jesus in a tomb in Jerusalem. She pondered the thought, and she responded to him in this way. No, it would not make one difference had Jesus not been raised from the dead and we found his bones. Let me tell you, If that is the case, let's just go eat brunch now. And if you're not busy next Sunday, you have a golf partner in me. Because if Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, our preaching is in vain, and in fact, our faith is in vain. And all that we're left with is a moralizing philosophy that does not have the power to save. That is not the message that was preached by the apostles, and we see that. All of the apostles, less John, even though they tried to kill John, they tried to martyr John, all died a terrible death at the hands of persecutors because of their preaching of Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him raised from the dead. But what if they had gone throughout the Roman Empire and simply preached, be nice to one another, just love one another? We don't crucify Mr. Rogers. People don't get crucified for that. We give them a a sweater and a little trolley and we put them on PBS. But as Acts says, this message was turning the world on its ear. And these disciples who were locked up for fear found their hearts unlocked and they went and they spread the gospel message of Jesus Christ because it's true. Because it happened. And because it happened, it has the power to change lives. The resurrection changes everything. Your past, your present, and your future is changed. A philosophy will not and cannot do this. And yet, in Thomas's disbelieving, Jesus shows Thomas his wounds. But curiously, there's no indication that Thomas actually put his hands in Jesus' side. But nonetheless, he makes an amazing declaration of faith. My Lord and my God. This is what the Christian declares. Thomas sees this amazing doctrine and he believes it. But it's not abstract, it's personal. He declares, my Lord and my God. Jesus has passed through locked doors to meet him at his place of need. And that message has changed his heart and made him altogether different. There's a very famous painting by Holman Hunt, which if you go to Oxford, you can go to Keeble College, and it's tucked way back in the corner. And it's called The Light of the World, and it has Jesus standing in this garden at a door, and he's holding a lantern. And if you look at the door closely, you'll notice a few things. One, there's no doorknob on the outside. 
that the door must be opened from the inside. And that there are weeds and grass that have grown about the door showing that it has not ever been opened. And Jesus' hand hand held up, ready to knock. And indeed, referring to Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. But is that... Is that how God operates? Is God too much of a gentleman to not come in unless He is invited? Some years ago when I was in college, I was in the parking lot at a grocery store. And there was a child locked in the car. And the child was screaming and the mother was panicked. And the mother was trying to tell the child that it was as simple as reaching over and pulling up uh, on the door lock. And other people were telling her, have you tried this? Have you tried that? And yet the child screamed, mommy, mommy, mommy. There was a panic. No one knew what to do. It was very hot outside. Until one man, a construction worker, walked over to his truck, grabbed a massive crowbar, looked at the child, smiled, walked to the back of the car, and bashed in the rear window and climbed in and saved that child. Does Jesus stand at the door and whisper, just unlock the door? While you cry for rescue? While you cry, Abba, Father? Do we listen to the voices? Well, have you tried this? Jesus' arm is never too short to save. Whether it be a locked door or whatever thing that you might think might be too great an impediment in your life, those no-go areas for Jesus, the marriage too far gone, the job situation without hope, the child wandered too far from the flock. But to those of us who cry out for rescue, Jesus walks through Locked doors. He busts through windshields and says, Peace. Real peace can never be apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God, bought by Jesus' suffering on the cross. Real peace. Absolute assurance of rescue. Jesus' love for you is so great that He will not be thwarted by locked doors for those who cry out to Him. As John writes, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Amen.